before we get into the message, I wanted to share um, an important spiritual insight. I was walking, um, has February been the oddest winter month on record? I mean, the swings from, how many 70 degree days have we had in February? I mean, good night. The world is upside down, isn't it? <laughs> so Thursday I took advantage of it and I went to walk on the trail. And as I was walking the trails, um, spending time just talking to God about some things and... Um, one of the things I was talking to him about is how it just, Lord, I, I feel like I'm out of sorts with this world. I, 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 it's, it just feels um, like I don't fit in. Like the stuff that's happening is just, I just can't get my mind wrapped around it. Um, and, and so as I'm talking with the Lord, I, I sensed him indicate this. The world is upside down. This is not our home. We are soldiers traveling through on his mission. And so the more that we get aligned with Christ, the more we are opposite from the earthly realm and the more disoriented we will feel. Amen. And my response was, I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, it resonated because, yeah, that's true. But I felt like God was just highlighting the, this reality. And so I put it there for you. The more right side up we are, the more disoriented we will feel. And I think that builds a longing for home as we are some of our scriptures and our songs we're talking about is that it's eternity that when we'll really finally be home and we'll feel at home. When we focus on this earthly realm, we will, we will be disoriented from God. But when we focus on him, we will increasingly as we walk. And so one of the takeaways from that is we, we got to stop whining about it. And we need to go to him and say, God, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to live in it? Because that's what I hear from a lot of Christians and a lot of talk show, you know, just whining and complaining. And, and, and that's, that's never what God wants. And so if, as we feel disoriented, we go to him and say, okay, what, how does that impact what we're doing? So the bad news, I don't know if it's bad news or just news, we're going to feel more and more disoriented. The more we get right side up, the more we will be in contrast with this world. Which then leads, leads us into the message about the qualities that we need to be constantly developing as we strive to live right side up in this world, as we strive to live our utmost. Number one, the first quality is, is our identity in Christ. We need to constantly be developing, constantly be surrendering, constantly be um, leaning in to who we are in Christ. So turn your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> we'll be looking at several passages there throughout. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 has been uh, a verse that we keep coming back to. <clears throat>
Philippians 1, chapter 6, or chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he forgave you, he made you his child, he cleansed you, he established a relationship, he reconciled you to God, and he placed his Holy Spirit within. He who began that good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's, it's a work that he continues to do, transforming us, and then eventually it will be perfected when we get to heaven. And so I was struck this week at the importance of having our identity in Christ in this right side of kingdom, living our utmost for him. Our identity, because our identity is who we are. It's about um, what we are. What if, and so identity is about... Um, so um, I'm sure none of you ever had this experience, but if you ever stopped by a policeman... What would they ask for? See, some of you immediately knew the answer to that. <clears throat> they would ask for your ID, your ID, your identification. Why? Because they want to identify who you are, your identity. Um, when someone's identity is stolen, what is it that people, what is it that is taken? Everything of who they are, right? And, and so they have, another person has access by pretending to have the identity of that person to all that that person is and has. And so our identity is who we are. And it has three aspects to it. The first is whose we are. That is who we belong to. Our identity is based on who we belong to. So when we come into this world as, as a child, we, we don't even have our own identity yet. We, our identity is based in who, who is uh, in the family, who our parents are, who, who we end up living with. Um, and in our, in our culture, we have their name. And they have the ability to give us our name. And so whose we are is, is, determines, is a part of what determines our identity. And, and so when we apply that spiritually, everyone is owned by someone or something. This whole idea is that I'm my own person it, it is a lie. <laughs> Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. So if you give yourself to a slaveholder, you belong to them, and your identity becomes a possession of them. And in this context, he's talking about either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. And in this passage, he's saying we all belong to one or the other. We belong to sin, and that becomes that's our identity. We come into this world, we have a sinful nature, we sin, and we belong to that sinful nature. We, we are, that's our identity. Sinners, enemies of God. That's how we come into this world. That's our identity. But here in Philippians, he's talking about how we, when we come to Christ and we surrender our lives to him, we ask him to forgive us of our sins, to make us his child. That's the other option. And so we, we never are owned by ourselves. We're either owned by sin or we're owned by Christ. 
And he says, if you want to live in the right side of kingdom, then we have to fully surrender ourselves into his ownership. And that becomes our identity. Whose we are. Who owns us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? So when you come to Christ, now the Holy Spirit comes within, and now we become the dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's the transfer of ownership. So identity, when we, when we are, are, are striving to have our identity in Christ, is we sign ownership of our lives over to Him. And then the transformation from sinful to forgiven. And, and not only us, but all of us. That's why when your car breaks down, you're able to say, God, your car broke down. What do you want me to do with it? When, you're, when your body begins to break down, you go, God, your body broke down. You own this thing, so what do you want me to do with it? Because it's not ours anymore. It belongs to him, which is a great relief. Because now God says, I'll take care of it. Amen. Just follow my lead. So it's about whose we are. Who do we belong to? And then who we are. Let me, obvious participation. When somebody asks you, you or somebody else, um, who are you? What is, what is it that we usually answer with? Our name. Our Type of employment. Where we work, our vocation. What was it back here? Profession. Vocation, profession. What else? Who we're married to. Who we're married to. And, and you have a choice of saying that with a frown or with a smile. <laughs> What's that? Our kids, our kids the, the, the family that we have. Yeah, the place that we live, the place we grew up. All of those characteristics, who we are, according to what, we, what, what our life is. Our identity, then, before Christ is, I'm a sinner, and I'm an enemy of God. Now, when somebody asks me, I can say, I'm a child of God. I am a child of God, of the Most High God. I am a child, I'm a servant, I belong to Him, I'm a friend of God. There's so many scriptures that talk about who, who we are, and all of them come out of His love for us, Amen. that His delight in us, and His desire for us, who we are. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You're not what you used to be. Amen. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, let me, let me pause here for a second. I was listening to a podcast this week, and a counselor was talking about um, the sin. And, and he said, the, the thing that the devil uses the most, and I absolutely agree with this 100%, is shame. And shame is telling you that you're a bad person because of what you've done, where you've been, how you've messed up, what you struggle with, and all. And and this scripture says, nope. When the devil comes and says all of those things to you, you could say, that was the old me. That's not me anymore. Why? Because everything has become new. I'm no longer a 
sinner, I'm a child of God. Amen. Who we are is transformed. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Who am I? I'm not just Herb. I am a child of God with Christ living in me. Amen. It's not just my personality. It's the Holy Spirit taking my personality and transforming it. It's not just my relationships. It's the relationships that I have in my life, but God is working in. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, by trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who am I? I'm a child of God. Forgiven, transformed, renewed. It's about who we are and whose we are. That's our identity. But then there's a, a third aspect of our identity. It's who we're with. Who we're with. Um, years ago, Ken Davis, a friend of mine, um, did uh, a message. He called it Super Sheep. He talked about how in the Bible we're described as sheep, but Jesus is, the, is our shepherd. And so, and he created this t-shirt. And on the t-shirt, it, it was a lamb who was being confronted by a wolf, a snake, and there was, there was a third thing, and a lion. You know, because it talks about the devil is a roaring lion, the devil is a snake, and all, all those pictures of, of entities of the devil. And and the, the sheep was being confronted, but right beside him, I don't remember if he's holding his hands, but right beside him was a picture of depicting Jesus as the shepherd. And he, and he said to, to those, I'm with him. Amen. And I love that. Because it's not, it's not that we, I mean, we are sheep. I mean, we, we're not very appealing and we're not powerful against those other entities but we don't have to be because we're with Jesus his presence lives within us and and he, he, he's given us promise he'll never leave us or forsake us that he does the heavy lifting we just put our head in the yoke with him and we're with him so nothing that we will ever face in our lives if we're relying on him if we're living for him will ever be too big for us or too strong for us or to overwhelm us nor should anything ever shame us. And so when we start thinking that we're nothing or we're kicking ourselves, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit who says, no, you're not that anymore. There is no shame now that you're following Christ because you're not a bad person. You're the person who lives right. Now, we still do bad things. We still mess up. We still make mistakes. But that doesn't make us bad in our identity. Amen. Who we are with. Colossians 3, verses 3 and 4, for you have died. That old shame-filled life is gone. And your life is hidden with Christ. That is, secure in Christ. Satisfied in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. So it's about who we are with. It's about going to Him so He pulls us up to see from His perspective. Um, so 
I, I, I was just struck this week at how important our identity is. Because our identity, who we are, whose we are, and who we're with, determines how we see and how we act in this life. And we have to ever develop that dependency upon that identity. And so I put a statement there that identity is the foundation. It's the prerequisite. It's our very essence in who we are. First John chapter four, verse four says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you, when you belong to him, your identity is in Christ. The Holy Spirit lives within. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So no no entity, no spiritual entity, no physical entity is bigger or more powerful than us. Now, here's a warning. You might want to write this down. We like the idea of our identity being in Christ. Being able to say, God, is your car. The muffler just fell off. What do you want me to do? We like that idea. But our tendency is to ignore the path and the cost of having that identity. Now, before you say, well, I accept a Christ as Savior, now I'm a, again, yes, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, but we have to live it out. Yes. That's why it has to be an ever-developing. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it's, it talks about this transformation by the renewing of our minds yes. so that we become more and more like Him. And the path to having that identity is death. We have to die to ourselves. So we go back through the verses that we just read. The path is giving up everything. It's de dying daily. It's denying ourselves, taking up our cross every day and following Jesus. It's turning our back on our sins. And we have favorite sins that we like to ignore. And God will push on it and he'll, he'll point them out and he'll go, and, and we go, okay, yeah, well, I'll get to that later. I'll, you know, I just, yeah, I know. I, and as a result, our identity is not in Christ. It's still with that sin. We have to turn away from the past and all of the lies that the enemy tells us and not live in that reality any longer. Amen. We have to be crucified with Christ, giving up all rights to ourselves. And, listen to me, we have to give all, we have to leave revenge to Jesus. Because if our identity is in Christ, then that's not my job anymore. That's not my relationship. That's not, that's not even my hurt. And so when somebody begins to hurt me, you know, I go, okay, God, that person is hurting your child. Go get them. Right? And Jesus says, vengeance is mine. He also says, it's not my desire that any should perish. So you got to let me have that. Or holding on to the hurt that they have inflicted. But if we are willing to give up our very selves and our identity truly becomes in Christ, then the benefits and the life 
that we can live is beyond what we can comprehend in the physical realm. Yes. Do you know why David, <coughs> when he came up onto that line where the soldiers were all shaking in their sandals and Goliath would come out every day, you know why he saw Goliath as an enemy of God and as fodder for what God wanted to do? is because his identity was in God. His identity was in who God was. All those soldiers, their identity was in who they were. The benefit was incredible, but he had to take that risk. And so all through the Bible, what you see is the people who God was able to reach into their lives is because they chose Christ. They chose God over the circumstances. And so our identity, who we are in him, is absolutely essential and foundational. And we need to constantly be developing that, which then gives us the ability to do the following. To live our priorities, our habits, our actions as a child of God. So how we live, who we are is, is our identity. It starts there. But then once we're there, then we live according to his way. Now, it just doesn't automatically happen. As I said, it's this transforming process. But at living with the identity of Christ, his spirit within us, as we surrender more deeply, as we're being transformed, so that we're seeing as he sees, and we feel as he feels, and, and we obey as he wants us to obey. Then we begin to live differently. And we have these results and then also we continue to pursue them. Now, here's what I, we're going to talk about what this is going to look like. And I want you to understand, if these are not a part of your life, then your, your identity is not in Christ. And you need to go back to that. So if these don't ring true with you, if these aren't what you're pursuing and what you're seeing in your life, you're going to need to go back to the identity. So here we go. Partners in God's work. Partners in God's work. And here's where we're going back to Philippians chapter 1. When we give ourselves fully to Christ, our identity is Him, then we begin, and in the daily, we begin to walk in step with what His agenda is, rather than our agenda. Partners in God's work. So one of my questions is, as you think about your last week, how much of your focus has been on God, what are you doing here? Versus, God, look what is happening to me. You see the change? When I see myself as, as my identity is in Christ and as a partner in God's work, then my assumption then begins to become whatever's happening in my life is because God has me there as a part of his work. Not because circumstances are wreaking havoc in my life. Not because I'm at the will and whim of whatever is around me. Nothing happens because I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to God. And so God is wherever, and he's got me in those situations. And, and so oftentimes being a partner in God's work means he puts us in the battle. Yes. Not in the resort. So many people want to be on a cruise ship for Christ rather than a battleship. Yes. Right? And he goes, I was never on a cruise ship. I don't even know what those are. 
Come over here and let's fight. <laughs> Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. We've read this several weeks. Hopefully you begin to... And, and so through the lens of being a partner in God's work. I thank my God, the Apostle Paul, talking to the Philippian church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul saw himself as being a partner with God with other people. And he remembers the Philippian church and how they also saw themselves as being partners with God, with Paul, to accomplish God's purpose, God's, God's mission. That's the way they saw themselves. That's the way they viewed everything through. Now, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they, were, they saw themselves as partners rather than as just wanting the benefits. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Because when you are, are, what I hear from soldiers who have fought together is there's a bond there. Like nothing else. Why? Because they fought and they battled side by side together. And so Paul's looking back on, he says, I have you in my heart because we fought for God. We surrendered to God. We allowed God to do things that we couldn't even imagine. I hold you on my part, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment when I was suffering and in the defense when I was standing on the corner and we were talking to people about Christ. For it is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You want to have better friendships? Fight together. Do the battle of Christ together. Go on the front lines together. And this is my prayer. So he, he says, I, you know, you, yeah, you're partners, but keep growing. Keep striving. Keep developing this. My prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, that you becoming more and more right side up. You're more and more you're living this out, filled with the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness, not just character, but actions that comes through Christ to the glory and praise of God. If we want to experience Jesus, we have to be where he is, right? That just seems to make sense. So the 12 were chosen, as we talked with the, at kids' time, and they went to be with Jesus. They experienced what he experienced because he, they were with him. They were partners with him on his mission. That hasn't changed. When we belong to Christ, we want to be wherever he is, no matter how hard. Doing what he's doing, no matter how difficult because of, the, of, the, of what happens in our heart in relationship with him and with one another. But it's lived in the trenches. That's why we talk about nudges, knees and nudges so much. Because if you want to be partner with Christ, sometimes it means you're sitting at home, minding your own business, and you get nudged to go to the store for something that you need, but you thought you didn't need it now. And you, so 
it's persistent. And so you do it and then you run into somebody that God wants you to interact with. You see, that's being a partner in God's work. It's in the trenches. It's going out in your front lawn to take the trash out way too early. You go, what, what, God, you know, they're going to arrest me because it's only 5.30 and you're not supposed to put your trash out till 6. So somebody's going to come along and you just have this and you go out there and your neighbor's outside and they look at you and you can see on their face they need a friend. You see, it's lived in the trenches. We're not going to have many Goliaths in our lives. But every day we've got work that God wants us to do, partnering with Him. Sometimes it's stepping toward conflict and discomfort rather than stepping away. Oh, I don't like that. Let me, let me see the hands of everybody that, goes, that wake up in the morning and go, I hope I have conflict today. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> Why? Because it's not comfortable. And yet, oftentimes that's where God is working most. If we want to be partners, it means we give up ourselves and our desires and allow Him to do what He wants to do. So it's becoming partners with God in His work. It's also developing God's perspective. It's seeing more and more everything from where God sits, from His perspective rather than from ours. So I would ask you, what is the filter that you see through when you're, you're going through your days and, and things happen? What lens is it that you use to define and interpret and respond to what happens? When we are captured by sin, when our identity is as sinners, our lens is selfish. And so we interpret everything that happens as, why is this happening to me? What, what, God, why did you do this to me? I can't believe you didn't answer my prayer and make my life easy. And, and, and so our interpretation is through this identity of selfishness, which is, which is what sin does to us. Or is it, Lord, I don't get this. What are you up to? Those are the choices that we have. That's what perspective is. Because our perspective defines, it flavors, it colors, it causes us to believe certain things about our circumstances that are happening. If, and, and so here's one of, one of the statements that we hear in our world. If God was really a loving God, he wouldn't fill in the blank. Right? If God was really a loving God, he would fill in the blank. With, and, and that is someone speaking out of identity of selfishness because the arrogance of assuming that we know what God would be thinking and doing is beyond comprehension. If he, if he even imparted into our brains a minute portion of who he is, we would watch people's heads explode. We don't know because we're not God. And so our response needs to be, I know God, I know the character of God, and that is God is love. 
And God is always working. And God is doing what out of his love. It's not his will that anybody should perish. He, 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 and, and we know all of that about God. And so we, with that assumption, we say, God, what are you doing? And what do you want me to do? And, and here's, when you, when you really are leaning into him, here's one of the things that will begin to come into your mind and come out of your mouth. When you hit hard things, difficult things, things that you think shouldn't be happening, and you find yourself responding with this statement, you know that you're growing. This is going to be good. Amen. This is going to be good. I don't know how, because it doesn't feel good, doesn't look good, doesn't sound good, doesn't taste good, doesn't, I don't like it, but I'm interpreting it through God's perspective where he says, there are, I've said this a number of weeks, and, and it's a God thing, there are no exceptions to Romans 8.28. God works all things together for good to those who love him. So, we're going to go to verse 12, Philippians chapter 1. But first, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we walk by faith, not by sight. When our identity is in Christ and our perspective is in, we're, we're not looking at the physical, what we can see, taste, touch, and feel. We're looking to the spiritual realm of what God is doing. And so after having talked about the partnership that he has with the Philippians, he goes to God's perspective. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And what has happened is he's been through the ringer for the last few years of shipwrecks and beatings and all this stuff. And now on his way to Rome, he's shipwrecked again and he finally ends up in Rome in prison. And he says, I want you to, <laughs> that's where he's writing this from. I want you to know all this stuff that's happened to me that the world would say is awful and bad is actually served to advance the gospel. What Paul does is he, instead of saying this is bad, he looks to God and says, God, what are you doing? And then he pays attention. So that, and, and by the way, and some of you are in those kinds of situations right now. You have no idea what God's doing. And you're going to have to depend on God's character and your identity in him and see how it turns out. Because right now it feels bad. And without any hope on the foreseen future. Amen. But you can trust God. There are no exceptions to Romans 8.28. If we don't give up. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul had this desire to be in, the, in Caesar's household in the intricacies of the Roman government but he never imagined that it would be by being a prisoner. But it has given him access. And it didn't happen overnight either. If he had been a prisoner, ended up in Rome as a prisoner, and his trial was the next day, and then it was determined, he would, this never would have happened. It's only because he had to be in prison over a long period of time, which is not fun. But it's God. So there's become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the whole imperial guard, the best of the best of the best of the Roman army. All those people. And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. Christ is being known. Which is exactly the opposite of what Caesar wanted. Right? He's trying to stomp it out. But now he's got this little guy in prison that's evangelizing his whole imperial guard. 
And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. So the ones that are really striving have become fearless because they're watching Paul. And the ones that are trying to cause trouble for Paul are actually bringing his attention to Christ as well. Imagine that. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead, try it. Because my identity is in Christ, the Apostle Paul says, and God's going to work out what he wants to work out. What then? Only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. So Paul doesn't whine, but he does face the reality of it. He doesn't deny the truth. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't paint it with a rose-colored glasses. But he, he recognizes that there's a reality beyond that and above it and states that the pain that he's going through is worth it. Amen. With God's glasses, Paul saw what was really happening mm -hmm. through the lens of identity of Christ and the work being as a partner with Christ. Um, Paul saw what was not obvious from the circumstances. So here, as, as we have our identity in him and we begin to go to him and ask God for perspective, he can interpret the, the circumstances that we can't understand. And we don't know what something is until God shows us what it is. What sometimes, yeah. But I don't, but this perspective doesn't come automatically with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't come quickly. It comes by pursuing Christ over a period of time in the community of other people who are pursuing Christ so that that identity begins to be the lens through which we see. I've been thinking about this whole idea of perspective for, well, for a long time, but especially for the last few weeks. And I, trying to come up with some kind of analogy for it. And, and so I'm sitting in my office, I'm thinking, is it like virtual reality glasses? And I'm like, that can't be it, because I, I've never used them, but I've seen people with it, and it shows them a whole different reality. It's not seeing the circumstance, it's seeing a different, it's like watching a movie or something. And then I thought, is it like 3D glasses? Where, and I thought, no, that just kind of redefines, you know, um, is it like glasses that remove certain colors? And you say, no, that's not it. So at our leadership team meeting about a week and a half ago, I said, you guys got any ideas here? Because I, I can't come up with an analogy that, because we're living in both realms of the set. So the seen and the unseen. It's not like the heavenly realm is out there somewhere. We're living it, the invisible and the visible all at the same time. So how do we see what's really happening, what's really real? And so they gave me all kinds of different ideas. It's kind of like, one, one person says, kind of like Sherlock Holmes. You know, he sees the details that nobody else notices. And I thought that, you know, that's, that, there's an aspect of that, yeah. Um, somebody else said, um, it's um, like the magic eye pictures. Remember those? You know, that had picture in a picture and you had to, Put it up here and slowly, you know, and suddenly dinosaurs come out of the squiggles. And I said, well, I, well it was kind of like that. Um, somebody said, maybe it's, it's like the kids, remember those kids 
books that if you put these special plastic glasses on, would take the, I think it was the red, would take the red out of the, in the, you know, the picture would kind of emerge from it. And then somebody said there's a movie called They Live. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never heard of it. But evidently there's a bunch of memes around it. And, and so... <laughs> yeah, leadership team. They pull up a clip, and we're. I'm going. What, was it? what happened to the meeting? Now we're watching something I never seen. And it's about this guy who puts on what looks like sunglasses, and and now as he, he's watching it, he sees billboards with a real message behind them, and he sees what what are those zombies or aliens or? Yeah. Way too many answered that question. <laughs> How come I never heard of this? And all of you know everything about it. The movie's 40 years old. I'm not a young buck. So, and I think all of those have kind of aspects of it. And in, the, in that clip, I loved when the guy put the glasses on first and he's just so shocked. And I thought, that's a pretty good analogy of what happens when we get our identity in Christ. We're shocked by what is really real because we've been living in the physical for so long. So all of these things, and, and I thought not, not one of them captures it all. And then I realized as I, as I continue to think about it, pray about it is actually I was on my knees and I'm you know, praying about this and, and I sense God Reveal to me, it's because seeing through God's perspective is, is not about putting something externally on, but rather from his identity coming from within. Amen. So it's not about adding something to us. It's about surrendering ourselves to who he is and allowing him to pull us up and reveal what is really there. And the, no matter how hard we, I put this statement there, no matter how hard we try without identity in Christ, we will not be able to see life right side up. Which is why the people in your life that you look at and they don't make any sense and they can't understand what you're saying are the way that they are. Because they're blind. They can't see right side up until the Holy Spirit reveals it to them. Our identity in Christ within us causes us to be able to see as we surrender listen and obey it doesn't come quickly it doesn't come easily um, but it will come and as we get that perspective what we discover is that what we think is God's lesser plan because we messed up would be God's greater plan because he transformed Paul could have never imagined that he would get to Rome the way that he did. And it was a, a lesser plan. It was God's best plan. So I want to give you hope. For those of you who think by the mistakes that you've made, the decisions that you've made in the past, you've eliminated God's best, you're wrong. Because God can make the best out of the worst that you give him. Now, you'll, you have to live with consequences, but that doesn't mean you're kicked out. So take heart. And then finally, persevere with God together. 
I don't think it's possible to get God's perspective alone. Amen. He's made us for community. He's made us so that I, I think he limits what each one of us can see and experience because it's by being the body that we gain. And, and so I'm, I'm amazed when I hear people talk. I mean, I'm a pretty smart person and I've been studying the Bible a long time. And then I'll hear somebody who's a brand new Christian and they'll say something like going, holy cow, I have never seen that in my entire life. It's together. We need, and we have to persevere together. Philippians 1.6, I am sure that he who began the good work and you will bring it to completion as you pursue him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I put it there for you. And I think this is what we need to remind ourselves of. Because sometimes we, we go through this and we're acting like Eeyore, right? Just resigned about everything. And he goes, no, we are always of good courage. Always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are walking according to unseen, not the seen. Yes, as if to encourage. We are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body than at home with the Lord. Goes back to our memory verse. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. The path is repentance, con, you know, con, constantly turning to Him, constantly turning to Him, constantly turning to Him. Surrendering, listening, and obey. In the trenches, persevering with God together. Now I want you to turn to the, one of the scriptures that we read earlier, Isaiah 55. Open your Bible there. Isaiah 55, verses 6 to 9. Isaiah 59, and, and so verses 8 and 9 um, are life verses for a lot of people. And I've used them for years. In fact, in one of the books that I wrote, usually that's the memory verse, or the verse that I will refer to when I sign it. Um, but I was taken by the verses preceding verses 8 and 9. Because here's how we become partners. Here's how we get God's perspective. Here's how we persevere. He says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek means to passionately pursue with everything you've got, throwing everything else to the wind. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Repentance, turning away from everything else to turn to him. The unrighteous man, his thoughts. Stop thinking the old way. Thank God's thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, repentance, that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. When we're seeking God with all that we've got, when we're repenting with all that we've got, when we're, we're focusing on him, we're doing everything that we can to turn to him, surrender to him, let him be our identity. Then, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. I will show you perspective on your circumstances that you can't even imagine, but you don't get it unless you turn away from your own ways and turn to me. I will transform things in your life, but I can't do it unless you'll turn to me. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, high, as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. God's perspective. When we are, have our identity in Christ, our focus will be to partner together with him. Are you? It will be to have his perspective on all of life. Are you? It will be to persevere together with a good attitude. Are you? Because if you're not, then you got some turning around to do. You need to seek God with all that you've got. Would you bow your heads? Out of all that we've talked about this morning, what is it that God is zeroing in with you? Something you need to repent of? Surrender? A change that you need to make? Or live in your identity more? Out of His love for you, He wants you to do that. Not because he's pointing his finger. Because he's got his arm open to you. Will you do it? Whatever he's nudging you about, will you do it? Lord, in Jesus' name, we surrender all that's going on in every single person's heart, mind, and life. I pray that you would lodge in us those things that you want us to address this week. Don't let us off the hook. Push us, prod us, guide us, direct us. Help us to be willing to pay the cost of experiencing all that you offer. Believing even when we just have to take it on faith that that it's worth it. I pray that you would encourage those that are discouraged. Pray that you would shift thinking, shift feeling, shift attitudes so that we're aligned with you. Do what you want. Lord, I pray for our, our meeting in the next couple of hours that you would um, do what you want to do to make us your body more and more. So we give ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.